come to the place of God, to get in the truth of the Word of God by the power of God, that's a powerful thing. And uh, so glad to be here with you tonight. Glad that you have made the decision to come be with us, whether you're sitting in this sanctuary or you're listening online this evening. We want to welcome you and thank you for making the study of the Word of God a priority uh, for you and your family. Um, as many of you know, we just go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, straight through a book of the Bible on Wednesday nights. And tonight we find ourselves in Daniel chapter number 7. So if you have your Bible with you this evening, and I hope and pray that you do, uh, please turn with me there. Daniel chapter 7, and we're going to try our best, Lord willing, to finish up what we started last, uh, what, what we done the last time we were together two weeks ago. So uh, if I could sum up Daniel chapters 1 through 6 with, uh, with two words, I would use historical and practical because that's exactly what Daniel does. First of all, he gives you the history of what happened in Babylon during his 70 years of captivity. He gives you the, uh, the leaders and, and what went on with their leadership. And um, then also he gives us practically, he, he tells each and every one of us as Christ followers, as believers, how to live out our faith um, in a culture that is against God and against His truth. Daniel shows us what it means to be spirit-led. Daniel shows us what it means to be spirit-filled and how we can truly make a difference in the world that we live in. One thing I love about Daniel is that God takes a slave boy and uses him by his power um, to impact the nation in such a way that king's hearts are changed and the direction of the nation changes. It's amazing how God used Daniel and worked on him, worked in him, and worked through him to impact the world around him. Now, I believe if God can do it for Daniel, He can do it for us. He can do it for you and He can do it for me. The Bible continually tells us over and over and over again that God is no respecter of persons. God is looking for someone who is willing to make a stand like Daniel made a stand. Daniel shows us how to stand strong, but also love well. He shows us how to stand strong upon the Word of God, to, st to stand according to His convictions, the convictions that come from God's precious truth. But then He also shows us how to love well. He shows us how to love God and how to love people. And folks, we've got to do both. We've got to stand for truth because there's going to, uh, we're, we're living in that day right now. Uh, the time has already came where truth is being attacked like never before. On every front, politically, socially, we're in a moral crisis in this nation and in our world. And so if there's ever been a time that we may need to make the decision now to stand for truth, it's in the day in which we live. And Daniel shows us how to do that so powerfully. I'm very, very thankful for it. I've told you before, I believe that Daniel, um, for the current day in which we live, is probably the most relevant book that we could be studying. It's amazing what we find in the truth of the Word of God when you get in and look for yourself. In Daniel chapter 7, though, he really ch uh, changes direction. He goes from talking about that which is historical and that which is practical, and he moves on to that which is prophetic. He's called the Prince of Prophets for a reason. Daniel gives us in Daniel chapter 7 through Daniel chapter 12 a series of prophetic visions that teach us about the world we live in, about the future of this world. The more I look at these visions that Daniel uh, gave uh, to us because he got them from the Lord, the more I'm blessed, man, the more it encourages me, the more I have confidence in the validity and the truth of the Word of God. 
It's amazing what we see. What Daniel gives us is pre-written history. Now you may say, Brother, what do you mean by pre-written history? Well, I'm glad you asked. See what Daniel does? He gives us prophecy that for, for what, most of what he gives is our history. So we can look back and see how accurate Daniel actually was. We can look back and see how God used him to speak truth concerning future events in this world. Daniel, we know to be a true prophet of God because Deuteronomy chapter 18 and verse number 21, somebody please write that down tonight. Deuteronomy 18, 21, God tells us how we can tell a true prophet from a false prophet. There's all kinds of people today claiming to get a word from the Lord. There's all kinds of people today claiming to be prophets of God. But Deuteronomy 18, 21 says um, that we can know that a word has come from the Lord that God has spoken if what the man says actually comes true. And what Daniel said actually came true with amazing accuracy. A, you, you go back and look at it, and it just blesses my soul. See, brothers and sisters, what I'm trying to tell you is that tonight you don't have to wonder about the future of planet Earth because God gives you the future of the planet planet earth right here on the pages of scripture you need to look no further if you want to know what the future holds God gives it to you uh, right here in the blessed Bible if, if you want to know what God's plan and purpose is for your life you need to look no further than the truth of God's precious powerful word don't waste your time looking at the horoscope don't waste your time calling the Psychic Friends Network. If you want to know what God has in store for planet Earth, you need to look no further than your Bible. We see that proved by the writing, by the prophecy of, of Daniel. The Bible is prophetically accurate, and we know that because we can look back and see the Bible is historically accurate. What Daniel prophesied to be future events, we can look back on most of it in, in our past and see that with amazing accuracy, he said it just like it was going to happen long before it ever took place. Listen to what Edward Gibbon, a famous historian who was not a Christian, by the way, listen to what he said about the prophecy of Daniel. He said the four empires are clearly delineated and the invincible armies of the Romans are described with as much clearness in the prophecies of Daniel as in the histories of Justin or Diodorus. Now Justin and Diodorus are famous Roman historians who wrote after the fact, who wrote about the history that they saw in their current day that they knew had already taken place or was taking place while they lived. And what this brother is saying, what this man is saying is that Daniel wrote about it pre these things taking place before hundreds and even thousands of years before they came to pass Daniel wrote about it with amazing accuracy that blesses my soul see what I'm trying to get you to understand and realize children of God is you don't have to apologize for believing in standing on and living out the word of God you don't have to apologize for it and you shouldn't apologize for it yes read it yes believe it yes live it God's word is truth. The Bible was written over a period of 1,500 years by 40 different authors. Kings, princes, prophets, peasants wrote the scripture. Yet, 
over with with over with 40 different authors over a span of 1500 years it has one common theme and that one common theme that we find from Genesis all the way through Revelation is the redemption of man by the God who loves him how is it possible that these 40 different authors over a span of 1500 years from different socioeconomic backgrounds completely different people with different personalities, with different livelihoods. How is it possible that they all tell the same story? I'll tell you how. Because the Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse number 16 that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God the Holy Spirit. How is it possible that Daniel can write prophecies in Daniel chapter 7 about the coming kingdoms in the world hundreds and even thousands of years before they come and with amazing accuracy tells it just like it's going to happen. How is that possible? Because God the Holy Spirit inspired him to write the words that he wrote. You can trust your Bible. You should trust your Bible. Read it, believe it, live it. Stand upon the truth, the power of the Word of God. If there's one thing that the book of Daniel has shown me thus far, it's that. I'm so thankful that God gave us the book of Daniel. It's prophetically accurate. It's prophetically accurate because we can look back in history and see it's historically accurate. I was reading just the other day, and a famous archaeologist was talking about the Bible, and he said even though all archaeology has not proven the Bible because we ain't done that much archaeology, he says, no archaeological finds has disproven the Bible. I want you to think about that just a minute. That's a really big statement. Of all the years they've been digging around over in the Middle East, none of the archaeological finds that they found has disproven Scripture. Matter of fact, it's proven it over and over and over again. I read just the other day about the Pool of Siloam. You remember the Pool of Siloam. From John chapter 5, when Jesus healed the man that was lame for 38 years. Do you remember that? Jesus walks up and asks him if he'd be made whole. And the man said, I want to be healed. But every time the water starts moving, nobody will put me in. And Jesus heals the man by a spoken word. Says, rise, take up your bed and walk. And the man who had been lame for 38 years, left there rejoicing and praising God, carrying the bed he'd been laying on. It's amazing. The Bible says in John chapter 5 that at the Pool of Siloam there were five porches. Do you remember it? Now for years everybody tried to discredit John chapter 5 because they could never find record of the Pool of Siloam or it having five porches. Until about 10 years ago through an archaeological dig they found the Pool of Siloam that had the five porches that was mentioned in John chapter 5. And, and you can look and find Instance after instance, I mean, time after time after time that archaeology proves exactly what the Bible has said. It's prophetically accurate, historically accurate, archaeologically accurate. Spiritually, it's powerful. God has given you His truth to make a difference in your day-to-day -day life. So look no further if you want to know about the history of planet Earth or the plan and purpose that God has for you. Look no further than the Word of God. Get in and see for yourself what God is saying to you.
That's why I like Wednesday night Bible study. That's what we're going to do, man. We're just going to dig in God's Word and see what it means for us. Now, tonight, I want to move on from where we were last time in Daniel chapter 7. Last time, I really just gave you information about the, uh, the uh, vision that Daniel had. Tonight, I want to give you the interpretation. But before we do that, let's just run back over because it's going to make more sense as we go along. As, as God gives us the interpretation, uh, we, we need to see the information. So what is the information? We said that the vision in Daniel chapter number 7 coincides with the vision of Nebuchadnezzar that's recorded for us in Daniel chapter 2. Do you remember that? And, and I put this on the board for you. In Daniel chapter 2, um, Nebuchadnezzar gets a vision from the Lord of the multi-metallic image. It had the head of gold, the arms of silver, the sides of brass, brass, and the legs of iron. Now, when Daniel has his vision in Daniel chapter 7, God gives him the vision of four beasts. The four beasts that Daniel has in chapter 7 coincides with the multi-metallic image that's recorded in Daniel chapter 2. The head of gold is um, in chapter 2 is the lion with eagle's wings in, uh, in, in Daniel chapter 7. Now in both cases, whether it be in Daniel chapter 2 or in Daniel chapter 7, what God is doing through these visions is giving us the picture of the four main empires that will lead the world. And we know that the head of gold in, the, in chapter 2 and the lion in chapter 7 speaks of none other than Babylon. Babylon was the greatest of all world empires. Um, as we said in Daniel chapter 2, if you remember us studying there, as you go down this statue or that image that Nebuchadnezzar saw, as you go down, then it lessens in value. It's got a head of gold, then arms of silver, then sides of brass, legs of iron. And that speaks that the greatness of the kingdom also lessens as you go throughout time. Starting with Babylon, then we go to Medo-Persia, Greece, and finally down to Rome. Now, the amazing thing to me is the accuracy that we find in Daniel chapter 7 when God gives Daniel this vision. He speaks of Babylon as being the beast that, has, that is a lion with eagle's wings. Now, it would, it would mean that uh, not only uh, was, was it the head of gold or the greatest kingdom the world would ever have, and, and that would certainly speak of the lion because we know the lion to be the king of all beasts. We know the eagle to be the king of all birds. And so the lion with eagle's wings is the, uh, the greatest empire the world will ever have. Then it speaks of the, uh, the, the bear there in, uh, in Daniel chapter number 7. And it says the bear would have three ribs in its mouth. I love that. Let me tell you why I love that. Because again, that's great accuracy that God is giving us right here in the Word of God. And we know that because we can look back in history and see what that really means. The bear, uh, the kingdom of Medo-Persia who conquered Babylon. You remember that in Daniel chapter 6, don't you? When they came and conquered Babylon. Um, well, the bear had three ribs in its mouth. Why does it say that? Those three ribs represent the three kingdoms that Medo-Persia conquered when it came to world dominance. The three kingdoms we know to be Babylon, Lydia at that time, and also Egypt. We don't know that from Scripture, but again, we know that from history. Isn't that amazing? God gave it to Daniel even before it happened. Then we see um, that the, it goes from the Medo-Persian Empire or the bear in Daniel chapter 7 to the leopard. And we know the leopard speaks of Greece. Again, the accuracy is amazing. 
hundreds of years before Greece became an empire under the leadership of Alexander the Great, God told Daniel it was going to happen. But you already said about this leopard, he said it would have four heads. Now Daniel again saying this hundreds of years before it takes place, why would it have four heads? We can look back in history and see that when uh, Alexander the Great died at the age of 33, his kingdom was divided to his four generals in four different sections. The leopard with four heads. Then we go on and see the another beast that is found in Daniel chapter number 7. And we know that speaks of the Roman Empire. So that is the information that we gained from Daniel's vision. What about the interpretation? That bothered Daniel. When he saw this vision, the world's empires laid out before him, it scared him. And so he began to pray about it. The Bible says in Daniel chapter 7, look down to verse number 15 is where we're going to start. I'm just going to read uh, verse 15 all the way through verse 28. Then we'll come back and unpack this as far as we can. Look what it says. Daniel 7, 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him of the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Do you see that? The saints shall overtake the kingdom and they'll keep it forever and ever. And the Bible says even ever. That's a long time, isn't it? I'm thankful this evening that I'm a part of the eternal kingdom of God. And you ought to be as well. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Let's go on. Look what else he says. He says then, verse 19, Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, and whose teeth were of iron, his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet, and the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell. Even of that horn that had eyes and a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. Verse 21. I beheld, and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Until the Ancient of Days came. Now watch. And the judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all the other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall rise, and another shall rise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and shall subdue three kings. And he shall spake great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and shall be given into his hand until a time and times and dividing of time. And the judgment shall sit, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. 
Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations and that much troubled me and my countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. Thank you, Lord, that you are King of kings and Lord of lords. You are the Alpha and the Omega, the Ancient of Days. Lord, you are still on the throne. You are the sovereign ruler of this universe. Lord, I praise you for that. I thank you for that. I'm thankful, Lord, that you've uh, done for me what I couldn't do for myself. Lord, I thank you for salvation and making me a part of your family. Thank you, Lord, that I have the blessed hope of a better future. Lord, I have the hope of living with you in your eternal kingdom, not because of who I am, but because of who you are, Lord Jesus. We praise you. We give you all praise, honor, and glory, for you alone are worthy. Lord, I need you tonight. I can do nothing without you tonight. Make this truth in your word real to the hearer. Lord, not by my power, but Holy Spirit, by yours. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, and for your sake, amen. Now, what is this interpretation? Daniel prays for it. I'm so thankful that God gives it. Because not only does Daniel receive it at the time that God gave it to him, but he wrote it down so we could receive it. So what does all this mean? What is God talking about through this vision that he's given Daniel? Well, the, it, first of all, Daniel asked about the four beasts in general. And the Bible speaks of their rise in verses 15 through 17. Now, when you're studying prophecy, let me tell you something. You're going to find a whole lot of things that are symbolic. It's going to be all over the book of Daniel. When we studied the book of Revelation, you remember there was a whole lot of symbolism used to describe what was actually going on in the world. So I heard a lady asked me one time, she said, Brother, do you believe that the word of God is symbolic or literal? And I said, yes. I do believe it's symbolic in a lot of ways. I do believe it's literal in a lot of ways. Now listen to me. What we really got to do when it comes to prophecy is find out what is being symbolized by the symbols and then literally believe them. That's what we do. We figure out the symbol and then literally believe what God is telling us. Okay? And there's a way we do that. We do that by comparing Scripture with Scripture. Can you say amen? Let me tell you something, folks. The, the best commentary on the Word of God is always going to be the Word of God. So a lot of what we're going to do tonight is flip back and forth from Daniel to Revelation because you really are never going to get Revelation or Daniel if you don't have them both. They both coincide one with the other and both give truth that we all need to get a hold of. If we don't, then we're going to miss the whole point. So when we're looking here in Daniel chapter 7, there are several symbols that is used in the rising of these kingdoms. These kingdoms, they rise through war and conquest. We know that. The Bible tells us that in verses 2 and 3 of Daniel chapter 7. Let's go back and read that before we read uh, 15 through 17. Daniel spake and said, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven strove upon the great sea. So here you have winds. And you have a great sea, you have a lot of water. And the four great beasts came up from the sea, diverse from one another. So you have winds, you have the water, and then you have the beasts. So what does all three of these things symbolize? Well, first of all, the winds symbolize strife and war. Strife and war that will cause kingdoms to rise. Now, how many of you know, folks, this world has been plagued with war in all of recorded history? I told you last time that we were together, there's been about 6,000 years of recorded history upon planet Earth. And in those 6,000 years, there's only been about 300 years of world peace. Isn't that amazing? 
Do you know that men have signed 8,000 peace treaties and have been involved in over 15,000 wars in those 6,000 years? Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. A lot of it is because of the nature of man's sinful, fleshly, human heart. <laughs> That's a lot of it. No doubt about it. That's what ultimately will cause war is those things. But the winds that are spoken of here by Daniel speaks of that. Strife and war that will cause the beast to rise from the sea. So what's the sea represent? Well, we found out last time, if you remember in the book of Revelation, over and over and over again, the Bible, Revelation 13, 1, we'll read it in just a moment. It talks about the beast rising from the sea. When you see the beast rising from the sea, that sea means a sea of people. It means people, multitudes, or nations. And that's what it means right here in Daniel chapter 7. You've got the beast, which represents the world empires here in Daniel chapter number 7. All right? So all of these things are symbolized, but again, we need to find out what they symbolize and then literally believe them because God's Word has given us truth uh, about the world that we live in. Now, um, that's the rise of these kingdoms. Let's read about it. Look right there in, in uh, Daniel chapter 7, starting in verse number 15. I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. And I came near unto one of them and that stood by. Now, I, I was... I've been studying on this one verse here in the book of Daniel for, uh, for, for a little while now, for probably a couple of weeks now. I've been really thinking about this because in, in just a few months, we're going to start our spiritual warfare small group on Sunday nights. And, and this is probably a different message for a different day, and we'll probably cover more of this when we get there. But these ones that Daniel went and asked what was going on in the midst of his vision is some type of heavenly intelligence. Is it an angel? The Bible don't tell us. But it's some type of heavenly being, godly being, that Daniel goes to and asks, what's all this about? Uh, again, that's a different message for a different day, but I just want to whet your appetite a little bit when we get to our spiritual warfare study. So he goes and asks for the interpretation and Daniel gets it. Look what he says. Verse number 16, and I came near unto one of them and stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings which shall rise out of the earth. So again, find out what's being symbolized and then believe it. Then we need to see not only the rise of these kingdoms that we know have happened throughout um, our history, but also you need to see their replacement. Look at verse number 18. I love this. Verse number 18 says, But the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and even forever and ever. Now how long is forever and forever and even forever? How long is that? <laughs> see, what the Bible's telling us is that we are a part as the saints of God of an eternal kingdom. The Bible mentions saints here in Daniel chapter 7 several times. It mentions saints in verse 21, verse 22, verse 25, and again in verse number 27. So if it mentions it that much, we need to find out who the saints are. So who are the saints when he's talking about the saints here? Is he talking about Old Testament saints? New Testament saints? Modern day saints? 
Tribulation saints? I say yes. How many you know God's got some Old Testament saints? You say, well, how can that be? Well, saints are those who have been saved. They're the saved. The saved are those who've placed their faith in the God of heaven. <laughs> Amen? Now, how many of you understand, God has always saved sinners the same way. All the Old Testament believers from Genesis through Malachi, under the Old Covenant, all of them pre-Jesus, listen, they were saved just like we are saved. How are we saved? By faith. You say, brother, how are they saved if Jesus hadn't came yet? Listen, they were saved by looking forward in faith to the promised Messiah, just like we are saved by looking back in faith at the finished work of the Messiah. Amen? Abraham believed God, the Bible says, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Romans chapter 4. Just like all those Old Testament saints. So is it talking about Old Testament saints? Absolutely. Is it talking about New Testament saints? Absolutely. Let me give you a good definition of New Testament saints. Romans chapter 1 and verse number 7, please, brother. Put that on the screen for me. Watch what the Bible says about the saints in the New Testament under the New Covenant. I love this. Romans 1, verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what I love about Paul's opening remarks in all of the books of the Bible that he writes? He always uses this same phrase, grace to you and peace. Let me tell you what he never says. He never says peace and grace. He always says grace and peace. Why? Because you'll never truly experience peace until you've experienced grace. When you've experienced grace, when you've experienced the undeserved favor that God gives to those who place faith in Christ, when you've experienced grace, then you can truly have peace, for then you know the Prince of Peace. Amen? Grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the saints are those who've placed faith in Jesus and been considered righteous, not because of their goodness, but because of His you realize that's what Christ has done for the saints, for the saved? He's taken our sin and given us His righteousness. He's taken our death that we deserved and given us eternal life. He's taken our darkness and we've been put into the marvelous light of King Jesus. That's what He's done for me and you. New Testament, blood-bought, born-again saints. Yeah, he's talking about New Testament. He's talking about modern day saints today. He's talking about saints even that's going to come to faith during the Great Tribulation. See, God's always in the saving business, it, it seems to me, as I look to the Word of God. Amen? See, a lot of people want to get real narrow when we start talking about the saints mentioned right here. They want to say, well, it's just Old Testament saints and it's, maybe it's just New Testament saints. Some people even get so narrow, they say it's, even, it's just the saints that are part of my church. You know, they sum like that too, don't you? 
they all over the place. They, they think the only ones that are going are the ones that are part of their church. My goodness, give me a break. You're not that important. And that's not true. Salvation is available to all. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God is not concerned about the name written above the door, but the name written on the heart. So yeah, he's talking about all the saints, I believe. All the saints will reign forever and ever and ever. When? The Ancient of Days comes. Isn't that what it says? Look down with me there to verse number 22. Until the Ancient of Days came, and the judgment was given to the saints of the Most High, and the time came that the saints possessed the kingdom. Praise God. How many of you can look at the current environment that we live in, politically, socially, morally, and see that it looks pretty dark? Can you? You don't have to look far to see it if you'll just open your eyes. I'm telling you folks, it may look dark. It may look as though God is not doing what He said He would do. But let me tell you something. Listen to me now. We don't go by how it looks or even how we feel. We go by what we know to be truth. What do we know to be truth? We know that God has not stepped down from the throne. I was listening to an old Billy Graham clip the other night. Man, it just blessed my soul. He was talking about that very thing. He said, man, it looks dark in the world that we live in. But he said, all of the believers in Christ need to know that our God has not abdicated His throne. He is still in control. You need to understand and know God is not sitting in heaven tonight wringing his hands and chewing his fingernails to the bone over Joe Biden or Donald Trump or the, I can't pronounce his name, the dude in North Korea or Iran or you name the country. He's not concerned about that. Listen, what is happening is happening according to his plan. I don't always understand that. I can't always explain that. I think a lot of that has to do with me trying, with a finite mind, trying to explain the infinite. That's never going to happen. I, I, don't, I don't have the vantage point that God has. He sits on high in heaven. He knows past, present, and future. He has all omniscience, all Knowledge. I don't. He's omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants, with whom he wants. I'm never going to be able to logically explain how or why he does what he does. And you're not either. Matter of fact, we're not called to explain it. But we are told to trust Him. Let me tell you why. Because this great, sovereign, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent God loves you like a father. 
He's my daddy God, my Abba Father. He's not given me the spirit of fear, but he has given me the spirit of adoption, whereby I cry, Abba Father, Daddy God. Amen? So keep looking up, brothers and sisters. It may look dark, but listen, I like what Dr. Adrian Rogers always said. He'd always say that when the Christian looks outside and says, man, it's getting dark, he said, what you need to say is it's getting gloriously dark. It's got to get dark before the light comes. And believe me, the light's coming. The Ancient of Days is coming. He's going to keep His promise. Trust Him. Trust Him. We are a part of an eternal kingdom. Do you know that we are just pilgrims passing through our current world? Do you know this world is not my home? If all we have to look forward to is this world, we ain't got much to look forward to. I'll just be honest. God's promised something so much better, an eternal kingdom. It's an amazing thing. Never forget that. So you see the rise of the earthly kingdoms, but then you see the replacement uh, right there in, um, in uh, verse number 18 with the saints of God. So, so that's really the four kingdoms in general. But then Daniel moves on, and he really wants to know about the fourth kingdom in particular. I mean, he, 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 he uh, kind of separates them out. And he says, this fourth kingdom, I really want to know about that. Let's go to verse 19. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceedingly dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces, and stamped the residue with his feet. Now, I want you to get the picture of this beast in your mind. When, when the Bible gives us this symbolism of how this beast looks, it's speaking of how ferocious that empire is. So, can you imagine a beast that had teeth like iron and their claws were like brass and it was eating up everything and every place it came to and breaking pieces its enemies and stamped their flesh with its feet. I mean, that, that's the picture he's given. Now, this beast, we know he's speaking of here of the Roman Empire. The Romans were known for their harshness, for their cruelty. If you don't believe me, just check out history for yourself. It was the Romans who put the Son of God and God the Son on the cross. It was the Romans who killed Christians by the thousands after the Christians were falsely accused of burning Rome or burning part of Rome. And if you remember, it was the Roman emperor, I believe Nero, that lit the road leading into Rome with human torches or Christians that were being persecuted and killed. It was Rome that beheaded the Apostle Paul who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. Rome was this ferocious beast. Now, you know and I know from history that Rome was never conquered from the outside in but imploded from the inside out. It kind of just broke up. It was never conquered and they said, you know, this is the end of the Roman Empire because the Roman Empire truly has not ended. And that's the um, prophecy of Daniel right here. Again, historically, it's exactly right. Listen how he puts it. Watch. Verse number 20. And of the ten horns that were in his head and of the other which came up and formed whom three fell. So he talks about ten horns coming from the beast's head. These ten horns 
we know to be 10 kingdoms that will end, I believe to be European nations, that will in the future come together to reinstitute the Roman Empire upon the earth. There has been a push for that ever since the League of Nations was formed back after World War II. And we've seen them try to come together with their currency, with their citizenship, in every way that's been tried over and over and over again. And that's going to continue to happen until they have a leader that comes and unites these 10 European nations that will reinstitute the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire that is now laying dormant in Europe, I believe. This is how he puts it. He says, And of the ten horns that were in his head, and of the other which came up, and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes. Now he speaks of the horn that had eyes. Now the horn that had eyes, I believe that speaks of wisdom, according to other scripture. And I believe that's talking about a man because he says he has eyes and watch what else. A mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. Now what that means is this man looked the part of the leader the world was looking for. This man could speak in a way that caused men and nations to want to follow him. And this, had, this man had wisdom, the eyes of the man, the wisdom that was needed to govern. Now, who do you believe Daniel is speaking of here that will come up from the reinstituted Roman Empire, these League of Ten Nations? Who do you think he's talking about? He's talking about, yeah, he's talking about the Antichrist. He gives him a name. He calls him the Little Horn. Look, he says that... Uh, um, Verse number 23. This he said, The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all the kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and tread it down, and break it in pieces. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall rise. Do you see that? And another shall rise after them, and shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three kings. So the three horns that are going to fall, from, are going to, fall to the little horn are three nations of the league of ten nations that will be conquered by the little horn, in the end times. That's what he's talking about. Let's go on. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall uh, think to change the times and the laws, and they shall be given unto his hand unto a time, and times, and the dividing of a time. So, he's talking about the little horn, or what Second Thessalonians calls the man of sin, or what Revelation 13 calls the beast. He's talking here about the Antichrist that will become ruler of the reinstituted Roman Empire in the last days. The Roman Empire that will devour the whole earth. Isn't that what it said? That means the Antichrist will have complete rule and reign upon the earth during the Great Tribulation. Not only does it tell us who it is, that it is the Antichrist, the little horn, the man of sin, the beast, but it also tells when it's going to happen. He said he's going to have this for a time and times and a half a time. Now a time is one year, singular. Times is two years. And then a half a time would be a half a year. 
So what's he saying? He's saying this man who will be leader of the reinstituted Roman Empire, this little horn, this man of sin, the Antichrist, will rule and reign upon the earth for the last three and a half years of the Great Tribulation. Then, then, brothers and sisters, watch. Verse 22. Until the Ancient of Days came. Until Jesus comes in His second advent and sets up His rule in His reign upon this earth beginning His millennial kingdom. Take your Bibles and look to Romans, Revelation chapter 13. Revelation 13 and verse number 1. John said, And I stood upon the sand of the sea and saw a beast rise up out of the sea. That beast is speaking here of the Antichrist and his kingdom. And it's rising up out of the what? What's the sea? It's multitudes, it's people, it's nations. This beast is going to rise up out of the nations of the earth, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horn ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. Skip down to verse number 13. And he's going to do great wonders, so that he makes fire come down from heaven and the earth in the sight of men. And he deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword, and he did live. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, and the image of the beast should both speak, and cause that as many would not worship, the image of the beast should be healed. So he evidently has the power to make an inanimate image speak. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that's going to look like. But we're seeing here that he has great satanic power like the world has never saw. He's speaking great things. He's doing great wonders. And he looks the part that people will be looking for in the end time. I think the Antichrist is going to be the smoothest talker the world's ever heard. I believe he's going to be a humanitarian that people are going to love. I believe he's going to come as a wolf in sheep's clothing and cause all the world's religions to join together in one big happy family. Matter of fact, that's exactly what Revelation teaches. He's going to do that for the first three and a half years. And then the last three and a half years, he's going to do something else. Let's read about it. Watch. Verse 16, he causeth all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads, and that no man might buy or sell, save he had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him that understanding count the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is six hundred, three score, and six. The beast spoken of in Revelation 13, the Antichrist, is the little horn Daniel's prophesying about. In Daniel 7, 
He's going to devour the world. He's going to blaspheme the name of God, speaking great things. Let me tell you something else he's going to do. He's going to ultimately be destroyed by the God of heaven. Do you know that? I'm thankful for that. Daniel chapter 7, verse 26 and 27. But the judgment shall see it, and they shall take away his dominion to consume and to destroy it unto the end. Now the judgment that he's talking about there is what I believe the scene is in Revelation 4 and 5 when we see the picture of the throne room of God. You see these heavenly intelligences or heavenly creatures, angels, and even the church mentioned all around the throne of God. And he says, judgment is going to see it. The saints of the kingdom is going to judge. Jesus having complete authority. And then the Antichrist will be destroyed. Verse 27, And the kingdom and dominion and the greatness of the kingdom under the whole earth shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High, whose kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall, shall serve and obey Him. Obey who? Obey Jesus. Again, folks, He's the Ancient of Days. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the one who deserves glory and honor. He is the one we will worship for an eternity, and rightly so. He's the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. He's the Son of God, who came in meekness and will return in power. Verse 28, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations and much troubled me and my countenance uh, changed in me, but I kept the matter in my heart. So Daniel said, I kept all this stuff to myself that God had given me. So, folks, what we see in Daniel chapter 7 is the kingdoms of the world outlined for us before they ever came to power by the power and revelation of God himself, inspiring his own man, Daniel. What an amazing thing. Anybody got any comments or questions? Yes. Oh, there's still going to be a church. Yeah, there's still going to be a church. 